We've been looking at the same verse for a while now, but imagine, imagine that you are in Philippi right now, 2,000 years ago, sitting down in one of these rented places. The church has grown over the past 10 years after the founding by the apostle himself. And you've been supporting Paul and his team for all his evangelistic journeys. And now the letter came from him, the apostle. And the church will receive that letter to be the very words of God. That's why we receive the entire Bible as God's word. And imagine that you are sitting there just like now. And probably the pastor or an elder will come up. Whether it is a scroll or written down in a piece of leather, he's going to read this sentence to you. Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, and so on. We've been looking at the term slave or here, plural slaves. What do you think? What do you think they are hearing? As we, as I've been trying to say, the word doulos or doulos should be translated into slave or slaves rather than servants. And I've talked about John MacArthur's sermon that exposed me to that concept and a couple of books by his own, and Murray J. Harris, Slave of Christ, which really inspired MacArthur to preach that sermon and his book. So if you are listening to this letter, greeting, very first line from Paul's letter to that church, when you are a Greek-speaking person, and hear the word doulos, or douloi here, We are, Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus. What are they really hearing is the question. That's why I'm trying to explain this historical, cultural background. So we are going to do that one more time today. Last week, we have said... Apostle Paul used the term slave to introduce himself to the three churches in three letters, Romans, Philippians, and Titus. But what was more interesting to me was something that I found. Obviously, it has been there, and I'm sure many Christians have known this for a long time. But when I looked up other apostles who wrote other letters in the New Testament, they all introduced themselves also, just like Paul, as a slave of Christ. That's something that struck me to remind you. Second Peter, not First Peter, but the Second Peter. And obviously, it tells us it's much later than the First Peter. Scholars say it was written around 65 to 67 AD, when Peter, that famous Peter, is about to die in Rome by execution. But right before that, he introduced himself as Simon, Simeon Peter, a slave and an apostle of Jesus Christ. Peter, I love Peter, but in his mature state, 
he calls himself, I am a slave of Jesus Christ. We looked at James, the half-brother of Jesus, and also he's known as a pillar of Jerusalem church. He also says in his letter, James, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Scholars say it was written around AD 44, rather early, if not the earliest of the New Testament letters. What about Jude? Remember, also half-brother of Christ. He introduced himself also as Jude or Judas, Judas, a slave of Jesus Christ. By the way, James and Jude, they grew up. They grew up looking at Yeshua, Jesus, in, his, in their own household, like older brother. But later on in their lives, they call themselves, I am a slave of Jesus, Messiah. John, when he wrote the Revelations, the last living apostle, John, in that island, he calls himself also to his slave, John. And it was written around eighty ninety five. So when you open up the New Testament list, except for the Gospels, most of them have more than half Paul's letters and all these men that I've just mentioned, except for the Hebrews, we have everyone. We have all the authors of New Testament letters, not the Gospels, but the letters. They all call themselves doulos. I'm a slave of Jesus Christ. This is good in that nobody could say, you see, Paul, we know Paul, he's a religious zealot. He's an extremist. So he could call himself a slave. Nobody could say that because all these men, apostles, they, they are writing and introducing him, themselves as slaves of Christ. Their collective testimony, Peter, James, Jude, John, Paul, all of them collective resume, their struggles, especially half-brothers of Christ who didn't believe in Jesus. They thought that he was crazy. But their faith, their triumph after their faith, and their service, and many of them will lay down their lives for Christ. Toward the end of their lives, they call themselves, they are slaves of Christ. So it tells me this topic is not something that you put on lightly upon you. You don't call yourself a slave of Christ, though you are one, just as you are a saint in Christ Jesus. All of us, all Christians are slaves of Christ, douloi of Christ. But you just don't put this on lightly. It takes some time. Times of suffering. Times of ups and downs in Christian life. Times of applying the gospel truths in your life, service, many years of service to Christ and His church, and then, probably toward the end of your life, you could say, I'm a doulos of Jesus Christ. You don't put this title too early in your Christian life. Verse came to my mind as I was thinking about this. In 
Matthew 25, Jesus gives a, a parable. And in that parable, Jesus says this through that parable. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful, what? Servant? That word is doulos too. So if you want to be consistent, well done, good and faithful slave. You are faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. So I believe as we discuss this, this is something that takes a long time for Christians to earn, if I could put it this way. Nobody really earns anything. But at the same time, I don't want our covenant children running around, let's say, five-year-old, say I'm a slave of Christ. Too young. Too young. What's the first thing that comes to your mind as you listen to that word, slave? Probably shame. Or anger, maybe. Or maybe you're perplexed. Why would God use that word to describe me as a Christian? So at this point, as an introduction, I simply want to say this. As we have read from that confession, chapter 3, paragraph 8, the attitude in which you should approach these things. So many people, when people hear these words or arguments in the Bible, they immediately cast this and say, you see, that's first century male-dominated world. That's why they're using this kind of insensitive word. What I would say to you is, it is at this time, at this time, at this point, that your doctrine of Scripture should kick in. Ours is that authority of the Holy Scripture for which it ought to be believed and obeyed depends on God, wholly upon God, who is the author. Therefore, it is to be received as the Word of God. It is the Word of God. So I don't, when I encounter that concept, a slave, I do not have to apologize or be scared. Oh, what, what does this mean? For the doctrine of Scripture. No, it safeguards us and say, This is the Word of God, and let me study it. Let me try to understand it. It should be that attitude. Now, in the major book, there was a chapter that really helped me uh, to clarify this concept or the word or imagery of slave or slavery. He's a good scholar. And there's a chapter called Metaphor of Slavery. Listen to this. What is metaphor? A metaphor is a figure of speech that describes one entity or realm of experience in terms borrowed from another. It incorporates features that may be recognized as apt in reference to that entity being described, and here it is, and other features that are clearly inapplicable. That saved me. For example, let me give you an example. 
In Matthew 5, Jesus says, You, plural, you are the salt of the earth. Remember that? We are, as Christians, we are the salt of the earth. What is he saying? What is the main point? What connects us to the salt? Image or the metaphor of salt. Obvious point, the main point that Jesus is making against the backdrop of losing the saltiness would be the preservative. Salt being a preservative in ancient world. Against the corrupt and sinful world. So, God has placed us as salt. Do not lose your saltiness, Jesus says. That's the point. What is not applicable, not transferable from salt to Christians is what? I thought about it, maybe color. What if someone says, you know, Jesus is talking about color. It's white. Salt is white. These days, pink, whatever it is, black. I've seen all kinds of salt, but white. What if people argue that? No, we would say no. We are, Jesus is not talking about the color of that salt. What if someone says, you know, salt is bad for your health. It, it causes high blood pressure. So we cannot be salt in the earth, on, of, of the earth. That would be twisting of what Jesus is trying to say. You see, there are some things that will transfer to make this explain it better to us. Another example would be when the John the Baptist says, Jesus is the Lamb of God. What does he mean? Obviously, we cannot say Jesus is literal lamb. That is to miss the point. Or you cannot say Jesus, what well, that John the Baptist is saying, you know how the lamb, they have nearsightedness, they cannot see far, or, and they are not so intelligent animals. So Jesus is that. No, point of the lamb of God is to carry that scapegoat image of the Old Testament. So, you see, when Bible uses certain uses as metaphors, there are some things that is, there's a point of contact that could be transferable to explain this better than when it comes to the word slave. We must assume that there are things that God wants to highlight by using that term. And there are a few things that will be also not transferable. And Murray J. Harris, he clarifies it this way. Possible connotations that aptly describe the human-divine relationship through the word slave would be these things. Exclusive ownership by the master. Total availability for service to the master. And complete dependence on the master. Those things will be apt description by using the term slave. But other ideas are not transferable, inapplicable. And he says, such as enforced obedience, or loss of freedom, or cringing subservience. I will add cruel punishment. Some of the things that evil and wicked Traits of being a slave or slaves will not be transferable. Distinguishing that will save us a lot of time and a lot of headache. So his thesis is this. There is an important difference between a servant and a slave. 
A servant gives service to someone, but a slave belongs to someone. Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus. What are they thinking? Philippians, what are they really envisioning? Paul? Apostle Paul? He just called themselves, himself and Tim as douloi? I mean, you mean that slaves that we, we are familiar with? That kind of the lowest in the social group? He's really humbling himself. I think that's what they're thinking about. Let me give you a few more bullet points about the background. When we think about first century slavery, Murray J. Harris, he's a good scholar, and he talks about three backgrounds. Jewish slavery, Greek slavery, and Roman slavery. There are differences and traits and commonalities between all of them. And he says this, Whatever the variation of practice was in that Roman Empire, ultimately everything was subjected to Roman law. So what's most important out of all these three backgrounds would be the Roman understanding of slavery. Also, you need to hear about this background, a few bullet points for yourself, because I've heard many times when people discuss the topic of slavery of the New Testament, There's no explicit repudiation of the slavery in the New Testament. So pastors and scholars, they do all kinds of things to exonerate New Testament for not explicitly calling for the uh, abolishing of the slavery for that first century. Social justice. And I've heard many times from sermons, people say, You see, first century Roman slavery was not like New World slavery. It was not as cruel. It was not as wicked. It was kind of a benign form of uh, service. That is why the New Testament didn't call for the explicit abolishment of slavery. But I think that's wrong. Uh, The overall picture of the first century Roman Empire and, once again, Philippi being the colony of Roman Empire, and let me just give you a few basic points for you to have as a background, not just for today. There were three ways to become a slave in Roman times, and in all times, I believe. First one was by being a war captive. There really was no point killing everyone, but they will enslave them. But when the empire was expanding, expanding, there were no more lands. So, war captives in the first couple of centuries, but afterwards, it didn't work because there's nobody to conquer. So, next step would be simply buying them off of the market. And where do they come from? Kidnapping. From all over the world. And the third way was the hereditary one. If your mom was a slave, then in the first century Rome, Roman Empire, then you would become a slave. Slave to free ratio throughout the empire was one to five, they say. 
So if the entire population by Augustus time was 50 to 60 million in the entire empire, 10 to 12 million slaves were in Rome, Roman Empire. Also the scholar, he says, slaves were not readily identifiable in that first century. They didn't wear special clothes or colors of clothing. It was not identifiable by race or by speech or even by occupation. So in Rome, if you are walking around, you wouldn't know. You wouldn't know who's slave, who's not. In Roman law, slaves were mortal objects, just like any other slavery. A Roman could buy, rent, or sell a slave as he would a piece of property. But there was a path to freedom, manumission, tax at 5%. So you pay that, then you could be set free. But also, they didn't want all the slaves being freed at the same time. So there was cap placed over how many people could be uh, freed in a year by certain households and so on. Where do we hear about these things? Fragments, inscriptions, things like that. Treatment of slaves... And he is correct in saying it it depended upon what master that they had. Good masters would treat them good, well, but the cruel masters, and he lists some of the things that they went through, and I would say they suffered more than the New World slavery. And also what is important for Christians to understand is this. When Roman historian Tacitus describes crucifixion, He says this, Crucifixion is a punishment belonging to slaves, douloi. The worst form of death is appropriate and reserved for the lowest grade of human beings, he says. So when there was a slave revolt called Spartacus Rebellion, 73 to 71 B.C., Rome crucified 6,000 slaves in line, just to make a point. Do not do this. 6,000 slaves were crucified. So, that was some of the things that I've learned. It wasn't too different from the slave or slavery that we know of now. If I ask you, slave, when the Bible says, describes our relationship to God as a slave of Christ Jesus, what comes to your mind? Very first thing that should come to your mind is freedom. Because the person who is free is not a slave, and the person who is a slave is not free. That simple concept. What distinguishes slave from the rest of the people. Slaves are the ones who are not free to do what they want to do. But in Romans 6, as you know, according to the Bible, that concept of freedom is explained in a spiritual way as well. So non-Christians, non-believers may have freedom, but they are enslaved by Satan and sin. So their perceived freedom, even now, 
is not true freedom. What does Christ do? Christ set us free from that bondage and tyranny of sin. We are freed from that slavery, sin slavery. But yet, once you are freed, as Christians, we transfer our belonging now to our head, Jesus Christ. So that language, slavery or slave, is used in the Bible to describe our spiritual status. But there is one more concept that should come into your mind as you hear the word slave. That is not so intuitive. For me, slavery is about freedom. How free are you? Were you free when you were living in sin? Christ set me free from all the sinful acts and guilt and corruption. And now I am free to do the will of God. So I am set free. Yet I will gladly call myself a slave of Christ. But what is not so intuitive is this. Doulos has its counterpart. And Doulos's counterpart is Curios, the Lord. When the Philippians are listening, they are listening to this letter, Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus, what comes to their mind is not obviously slaves of Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus. Jesus is not cruel taskmaster. Jesus has set us free. So they are not really thinking in terms about, now I have lost my freedom. No Christian will think that. But you know what they are thinking? When they hear Paul speaking of himself as doulos and douloi of Christ Jesus, they are thinking about his counterpart. is curious. The Lord. To be a doulos is to have its counterpart, the master, the Lord, the owner, who is Jesus Christ. So in Acts 2, the very first sermon written down, Peter's sermon, this is what he says. Acts 2, 36. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. This Jesus whom you crucified. We know about Christ is the Messiah, fulfillment of Messiah in the Old Testament. Well, our Lord. You see, we, when we think about slavery or slave, we think about oppression, cruel punishment, or they need to be set free, emancipation in that fashion. But what is critical for us as that term is applied to us, is not so much about freedom. Yes, it's about freedom too. But it is about who do we have our Lord? Is it Satan? Is it you? Are you being the Lord of yourself, over yourself? I do whatever I want. By definition, that is not a Christian. To be a Christian is to call ourselves as doulos, douloi of Christ Jesus, who is Lord and Christ. 
our counterpart is curious. With that, if you could turn to the next page, read with me. With that, all of that background, that this passage, we've been looking at the same passage. But with all of the things that I've explained, try to read this with me in your heart as I read in LSB. Philippians 2, 5 and following. Have this way of thinking in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although existing in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, by taking the form of a doulos, slave, by being made in the likeness of man, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Why? Because he was a slave. He took a form of a slave. Slave obeys the will of the master and is obeying the father's will. So he became obedient to the point of death. What kind of death? Even death on a cross. Why? Because he was a slave. Took a form of a slave. Slave deserves cross. Only the slaves. The lowest form of death. Therefore God also highly exalted him. And bestowed on him. The name which is above every name. So that at that name of Jesus. Every knee will bow. Of those who are in heaven. On earth. Under the earth. And every tongue will confess. Now what? That Jesus Messiah is curious to the glory of God the Father. You see, we say it all the time, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Lord. Until you consider yourself as a doulos. Slave, the lowest in their society. Until you truly consider that, humble yourself and consider yourself to be a slave, you are not really confessing anything about Jesus Christ is Lord. Only doulos has curios, and to be curios is to have doulos. We are familiar with the metaphor of son. When God describes you as a child of God, what is he saying? He's talking about your helplessness. You come empty-handed, saying, receive me. And Father receives you. Father gives. Father loves. Father protects. What about adopted children, adopted sons, heir, co-heir with Christ? It talks about, it highlights inheritance. Then, what does slave highlight? We need all of these metaphors, images, to, to give us fuller picture of who we are in Christ Jesus. We are not only a child and remain child. We are not only a slave and remain slave. But all these facets and, and the diamond is shining, glimmering. And gives us full picture of who you are in Christ Jesus. And today, Apostle Paul, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he introduced, he doesn't need reintroduction, to the church at Philippi. I am doulos of Jesus Christ. Everybody understood what that means, what that meant. Jesus is curious. Our founder, pastor, 
apostle Paul will do the biddings of his Lord, Jesus Christ. He just humbled himself to be doulos. Everybody understands. And some of them were doulos themselves. But they saw in him, in Paul, the humility that was in Christ Jesus. Paul is not reinventing a new religion. Verse 5 said, Have this way of thinking in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. That's right. Jesus' humility. Jesus' humility enabled and allowed himself to go down. We often think about manger, born into a poor family. But when this describes Christ as doulos, slave of Christ, yet God exalted him to be the Lord, to which every knee will bow when time comes. And we Christians, we have already bowed because Christ bowed himself to come down here and take up the cross, the most not only painful but shameful way of death as a slave. I want to just leave this thought with you. I cannot go into all kinds of applications. I want you to Think about, open this verse up when you go home this week. Open it up, put your name in it, and read it many times. Instead of Paul and Timothy, you put your name in it. Sam, a slave of Christ Jesus. Write that down. First of all, it will shame you. Can I really call myself a slave of Christ Jesus? Do I do the will of my Lord? Do you obey? Do you obey the will of curios? If not, then you are not doulos. It's false humility. It's one of those phrases that you just say it. So pray to God that you will grow up to be that mature Christian. To the end of their lives, all the apostles called gladly Call themselves as slave of Christ. After long years of sacrifice and service that you could call yourselves as slaves of Christ Jesus. If we could be there, everyone, we have gap to fill. We have room to grow. But as you grow, fulfilling that role of a doulos, a slave of Christ Jesus, will of God will be realized in your life, in your family, in your children's lives, in our church. Through us, the will of God will flow to the world around us. For the real slaves to be set free by Christ, who once was a slave, but now the Lord. That's our mission. That's why you exist. That's why this church exists. In 2021, let us pray.